Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. From Porto Alegre to Belo Horizonte, the people are angry, they're hungry, they're marching to push back on fascism, save their democracy, watching the president talk shit and walk free, he jokes about raping our nieces, thousands of working class people diseased from diseases, forested lands where the trees live decreasing, we gotta defeat him by vote or impeachment, and so they in the streets in the capital, wearing all the masks and weeping flags until the bastard goes by the parliament or by the ballot, doesn't matter, all that matters is banding together so we see the fascists Hey, what's happening? Ah, what's good, people? I'm Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. You know what it is? Pay me my money. Hurry the hell up with that. How are you doing? I am fine. I uh, I just got out of City Hall. Uh, you know, I feel like we had a good meeting. We declared Columbus Day, Indigenous People's Day. Mm. Uh, so fucking fuck you, Columbus, burning in hell right now. How Your many... day is over, and it is now Indigenous People's Day here in How many Georgia. cities have made that change? Do Probably you know? a lot. Um, it was funny because in our resolution that we passed, it's like, oh, we're going to seek ways to govern with, like, you know, the ancestral knowledge of the Indigenous people whose lands this belong to. I was just straight up with my colleagues. I was like, yeah, if y'all want to do that, maybe we should consider giving the land back. Yeah. <laughs> like... Because think about it, okay, because I've been studying land back a little bit, like, as a movement, and it's public land. It's not like all of the white people, and black people, and Mexican people, like, in their, like, in the the homes they owned, in their condos, or whatever, are going to have to, like, give their condo to, like, the Muskogee. It's yeah. it's all, it's about public land. So I'm like, you know what? Why don't we just give, why don't we give them the parks? Give them the parks? Because, like... And got all these old white people here in the commission meeting like, oh, well, we'll put up signs. I'm recording. Mom, I'm recording the podcast. <laughs> My mom's here. She's looking out for the baby. She's making herself a drink. Making herself a drink. She's leaving now. Should I, should I, should I start over? You want to keep that in? Oh, no. Keep going. We're going to keep it. Okay. Gonna keep I think we have to keep it in there. Um... 
Oh, I feel like I'm back in high school again. Like, oh, she ruined my prom night. Anyway, uh, yeah, intergenerational living got to normalize it as millennials and Gen Z become increasingly economically precarious. Living with our parents, can't afford fucking rent. Anyway, so speaking of things that are, uh, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go. The, What's up? No, I was just speaking of things that are, you know, multi generational or, or changing amongst the generations. You know, we're of the uh, internet generation. In particular, we're like the that millennial age that's like the last of the people who were alive and kicking before the internet took over the world yeah, and, and you after know what? it. Yeah, I don't like I wouldn't say I remember life before the internet like distinctly. I remember when I when I first got the internet. Okay. But I don't have very distinct memories from before that. Okay. I was see, like seven or something when I first like logged on to AOL or something. Yeah. Okay. So see, I'm 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 older than you. So, yeah. So yeah, and I definitely remember. Yeah, because I'm, for a long time, I mean, the thing is, it's hard for me to remember what it was now, but like I remember that I lived through it. You know what I mean? So it's like I wasn't old enough that I was driving anywhere personally looking at map quests and stuff like that but i'm young enough to remember when people had to use like map quests when that was first becoming a thing before gps and even before map quests when people had to use like regular maps and stuff like that like i remember going on road trips with my parents when they had to use like regular maps because you couldn't just look stuff up and when you had to use a thesaurus in a dictionary yeah. <laughs> and like encyclopedias, like actual encyclopedias, not the yeah. Wikipedia shit. I'll never forget when I was on tour one time, both me, I like shattered my tour manager's phone into a pool of water. Not only did I like smash the screen, I smashed it into a pool of water and mine got lost in an Uber in New York. So like we were confronted with like, how do we find, figure out how to get home and like how novel it was to re- look up the directions and write it down on the back of an yeah. envelope and like, oh, hope we don't miss a turn. And then like, it felt so like magical and renegade <laughs> and just anachronistic. Well, it's stupid. We only bring it up just because of the revelations about Facebook that have come up, you know, the whole social media thing. That's definitely something that, you know, older generations have, haven't had to deal with, obviously. But it was uh, reported through a leaker that Facebook had known how harmful Facebook and Instagram were to young users. And not only did they uh, conceal that information, but they actually tried to get rid of that information. They knew that their algorithm was making teenage girls uh, like suicidal and having eating disorders. Like yeah. they knew this to be true I mean, and much- did not do. And they just continued to prioritize profit over the mental health of a whole generation. In a nutshell, what their their own research concluded was that uh, Facebook's it has to ha- its business model has to be on polarization and spreading hatred because the more angry that people are, I guess I don't know. This is how this is what they figured out. The more angry that people are, then the longer that they spend on Facebook, the longer that they spend on Facebook, the more likely they are to click an ad. When they click an ad, Facebook gets money. So they made, the, you know, what I mean, at, at at the risk of, I guess this is a public health thing, right? At the risk of public health, 
Yeah. They they chose the profit margins over the the good of the people. And then and then on top of that, a few days later, you know, the whole shit just gonna like crash <laughs> like out the blue. Like uh-huh. we're Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that was an accident. <laughs> They're like, do something quick. Look over here, child. Yeah, that I mean Pay no they, attention to the man behind the curtain. They could have tried to be a little bit more I don't less obvious with that shit. That is that's like some movie shit right there. It's like, oh my god, the leaker came out. Or you know what? It was it was either a distraction or it was totally like taking my ball and going home. Like, oh really? You guys are gonna call us out for making teen girls suicidal? Well, I guess I guess we'll just take away Facebook then. I guess you just can't have it if you don't appreciate what you have. Well, earlier we were talking about how much money Mark Zuckerberg lost due to lost the outage. They lost seven billion dollars. Even though the point that you were making is like seven billion dollars to him ain't nothing. That's true, but I don't think I don't think most people are willing to lose seven billion dollars just to do some nana nana boo boo shit. You know what I mean? Nah, so yeah, I think so- I think it was much more like, oh my god, the documents have come out. What do we do? Yeah, the, the shadowy <laughs> figures that like control Zuckerberg's limbs via like satellite or whatever and like make his face do human facial expressions. <laughs> Sat him down, they're like, Look, bruh, gonna have to take this L. We have to continue to extract profit out of the suffering of the children. Well, I mean the But thing we can't is, let people realize that it's happening. So just Well take the thing the L. is Facebook has to be one of the biggest most powerful companies to ever have existed in the history of humankind, right? In the history of humanity right? and human so, yeah. civilization. I mean, if like, if companies that are far smaller than Facebook have existed over the years and have like just from the sheer greed and from the from the sheer like implicit greed that is that's there with like a corporate structure, you know what I'm saying? They've wreaked havoc. On generations of the world, what the fuck do y'all really think the like most powerful one out of those in the history of humanity is gonna do? You know what I'm saying? Like, like this is just this shit because it's been leaked. The book hasn't been written on <laughs> what the fuck Facebook is doing or what they're gonna be responsible for. So stay tuned on that shit. This is just some surface shit. Going back to the nanny nanny boo boo hypothesis, however. <laughs> I can just picture also Mark Zuckerberg like ripping a fat line in his office like yeah shut it all down what do you mean sir yeah I said shut it all down sir you'll lose billions of dollars I don't give a fuck dude (laughs) (laughs) if they don't appreciate me they will see and it's just like line after line no shirt on just that's the social network version of Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) so I don't Nanny, nanny, boo, 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 hypothesis is still plausible. That's the Jesse Eisenberg, Zuckerberg. Yeah. That Bergberg. Anyway. That Bergberg connection. Wow. Okay. What else is good with you, bruh? Oh, yo, me. I've got this uh, single that I got coming out soon. I finally made the hometown joint you know what i'm yeah. saying i got the savannah the savannah joint so you know like the the thing is i'm just now it's like i've been doing the whole thing independent for a while but the last few projects that i've done have been with like small indie labels you know what i'm saying so 
in a way, it's kind of like I'm out of the loop of like consistently releasing my own music on my own. I mean, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be working with the label for the album, but like I just wanted to put out just some random songs leading up to it. So right now, I'm in the process of like you know, st- it's almost like I'm starting from scratch. Like I'm a new artist. It's like, oh man, all right, I gotta get get in on this TikTok thing. All right, let me start doing, let me start making TikTok videos and shit. And, oh man, I guess I have to start paying more attention to my Instagram shit. So I'm, I'm going through a lot of that motions. And a lot of that is, you know, like a, a learning experience in a way for me. So it's like, yeah, I, it's, sure. it's added a layer of, I guess, invigoration. Because, you know, I don't like doing shit unless I can get good at it. So it's one of those I things. I'm the that's... same. Oh my god, we're the same. I don't like like I don't like playing board games with people. Yeah, like exactly. o- only Scrabble because I can dominate everyone. Because I know how to play. Exactly. <laughs> I know I can exactly. kick everyone's ass. Chess. I have to learn the rules of new game, and you're gonna beat me in the first five times. Fuck that. Exactly. No, I'm exactly the same. Like the, I saw I got out of gaming and stuff Whenever like any of my friends like yo let's play Call of Duty I'm like bet let's get it I'm like pulling out the version from like 2008 They're looking <laughs> at me like yo what you doing I was like nah man doing, <laughs> I can't I can't do it uh, But what, what um anyway yeah So I'm, I'm doing that whole thing with the Song and stuff and You know we're gonna be hearing more about That in November Cause that's when it's coming out I, I don't wanna Bother teasing it now but to let people know that there is new music coming out and um Dope. yeah so what, what do we got going on today on the show so today on the show we're gonna go on to part two a continuation of our topic from last week discussing the rise of fascism and the potential for a coup in brazil with um a writer researcher uh author of the new book the end of the end of history uh alex hokuli who's based in sao paulo uh, Brazil and uh, has written on the topic of um, you know Brazilian fascism and you know the it's threats to democracy for Jacobin and other outlets. So after the jump, we'll be getting into it with Alex, and then afterwards we'll be coming back to talk a little bit about other manifestations of 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 political unrest in hip hop um, with a couple of artists that are real dope. So stay tuned for that. You ready? Let's get it. You wanna go? Let's go. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So today I'm excited to be joined by Alex Hokuli, um, writer and researcher based in Sao Paulo, host of the Bunga Cast podcast and author of the recent book, The End of the End of History, here to talk to us a little bit about um, the anti-Bolsonaro protests that took place over the weekend, as well as just the uh, general context in which they're, um, they've taken place. So Alex, how are you today? I'm, uh, I'm reasonably well, thank you. Yeah, it's a bit chilly here in, in, in Sao Paulo. Uh, we're not fully out of winter yet, but um, we're oh, getting there. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, does, does it rain a lot in Sao Paulo? It rained a ton when I lived in Porto Alegre, uh, just like all the time. It's super gloomy. It, it depends what your standards are. I used to live in London, so uh, <laughs> by contrast, Sao Paulo doesn't rain very much, no. <laughs> Word. Word. Well, let's get into it. Um, let's start off. I'd love to hear um, about how it went over the weekend. We talked a little bit last week in the lead up to this episode um, that there would be some anti-Bolsonaro protests across Brazil in response to the pro-Bolsonaro protests that took place in September. So what was the turnout and what was the coalition like in the streets? Well, I mean, I was here in Sao Paulo. I still am. And I'd gone along to the protests on Sunday. And these were set up to be the first big anti-Bolsonaro protests on the left. And that's an important qualification. Uh, on the left for quite a while, for quite a couple of months since since around June or something was the last one. Um, the turnout was decent, uh, but at the same time, the protest lacked a bit of energy and was strangely fragmented based around uh, different activist groups uh, on the streets, different you know parties or, uh, for example, the student unions or different uh, trade unions. And so as a consequence... Uh, it maybe wasn't a, a kind of massive show of force on the part of the left um, in the way that might have been expected. I think an important kind of backdrop to this, and I guess the baseline against which we compare these left-wing protests, have been recent protests by the right. So on on September the seventh, and I guess we'll come along, we'll come on to talk a little bit more about that. But both, there were pro Bolsonaro protests, which was the biggest organized demonstration by pro-Bolsonaro forces since he was elected in 2018. 
And that one mobilized 100,000 plus people uh, in Sao Paulo and in Brasilia, the, the federal capital, um, but not in other uh, other state capitals. And so that was a big turnout, but obviously there was a huge amount invested into that, both uh, both kind of morally as well as financially. Uh, and so that was seen to be a bit of a flop. Then a couple of weeks ago, you had right-wing anti-Bolsonaro demonstrations. Um, if you can, yeah, yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> so th- they are groups who, led by groups like uh, the Free Brazil Movement, for example, or Come to the Streets, which were groups that were formed around 2015 in f- to fight for the impeachment of the Workers' Party president at the time, Juma Rousseff. Something they ultimately succeeded in in, in pushing, um, albeit you know with a lot of parliamentary maneuvering that uh, went on behind that to lead to the parliamentary coup of of uh, twenty sixteen. These groups then, I mean, if you were to ask them and if they had to respond honestly, I'm pretty sure all of them would have voted for Bolsonaro in twenty eighteen. Um, but they see themselves as more liberal. I mean, liberal not in the American sense, meaning left wing, but liberal in the sense of uh, economically liberal, right? So they're kind of neoliberal groups who don't identify with the sort of uh, more kind of culture war orientation of Bolsonaro and maybe reject some of the more obvious or naked authoritarianism. But, you know, ultimately these are, these are, um, these are, Bolsonaristas with buyer's remorse, (laughs) if you want to put it that way. Um, And they manage very small numbers. They manage very small numbers. And I think that proves that that sort of politics just has no base in Brazil today. And so all the right wing who had previously been anti-Juma, who had been anti-Workers Party, voted for Bolsonaro. And now the electorate is pretty polarized between Bolsonaro and Looking and, and the left then probably looking to vote Lula in, in in 2022. So in that context, you know, how did the left wing protest do? It was okay, but it wasn't. Uh, it, you know, it was still mainly the sort of activist bases of different groups of different parties, without real sort of mass support. And so I think in some of the coverage I was reading. Um there were some um, folks interviewed who were around for April 10, 1984, and like sort of hoping that this moment could be similar to that one um, in Brazil and that it was a watershed moment for the end of the military dictatorship. And so I was wondering what you might think the potential impacts would be of this protest, though it did not have perhaps the numbers, the show of force that folks were hoping that it would. Yeah, I mean, it's strange to kind of read the political temperature. I think there's an element of, you know, we're a, a year away from the election. There's an element maybe just of let's just wait until the election. Bolsonaro looks pretty likely to lose. You know, he's polling at around 25%. In the first round, Brazil has uh, two rounds of, of presidential election. So the first two front runners go to a second round if neither achieves over 50%. And so Bolsonaro in the first round is polling at 25%. And then the second round, only around 30%, i.e. showing he has a very hardcore base, which is not abandoning him and won't abandon him. But he's not able to reach very far beyond that. I suspect when an election comes, he'll be able to reach a little bit further, especially as it'll be against Lula, um, former president of the Workers' Party, who is, uh, well, who's still hated by, uh, you know, a section of, of, of fairly substantial section of the population still. So I, I think the the reality is that the protests won't have kind of transformed anything. And there's a, a sense of, 
Well, still a sense of exhaustion. You know, the Brazil has, and this is an important context,、um, had on the first kind of political level had. Waves of mobilization since 2013, which have been very important, and there are sequences of protests, one after the other,、uh, both on the left and then especially on the right. And there's maybe an element of just exhaustion that there was a very intense period of five years of mobilize of street mobilizations, which has now been exhausted. Then you have the pandemic. Then you have a severe economic crisis, which still continues. Brazil hasn't really recovered from the crisis of 2014-15, and. Then on top of that, you have、uh, the fact that prices are rising pretty severely. So there's a lot of inflation, fuel and food price inflation, which is biting really hard. You know, like having a barbecue and having beef is a pretty big part of Brazilian culture. You gotta you, you have, lived, yeah. Yeah, and you lived in the south, so there it's really big. Oh yeah,、big. oh yeah.、Um, but it's big across the country, and you know, Brazilians aren't able to eat beef now because, or you know. Beef, meat people have had to really cut their consumption of beef because prices have risen so much. But also, chicken, pork, rice, beans, everything—all the staples.、Um, and so, at the moment, there's just a sense of like maybe kind of hunkering down.、Um, if you want to talk about kind of what could change, if I want to, you know, make some prognoses,、um, yeah. I think one thing to keep an eye on in terms of. Whether people will be driven to the streets, whether whether there'll be some you know real anger against Bolsonaro rather than just a sense of slumping towards the next election, there's the fact that Brazil is facing possible blackouts, like rolling blackouts,、um, because、mm-hmm. there has been a lot of drought, which means that the hydropower plants don't have enough water,、mm-hmm. and、uh, and so they're having to depend on so,、uh, sort of other energy sources. And it looks like there'll have to be some sort of rationing. And blackouts. If that happens, that might be a bit of a trigger, and who knows where that might lead. But I think it's worth, you know, kind of we try to look across the rest of the continent, and if you can see the sort of mass demonstrations and uprisings you've had in、uh, Colombia, in Ecuador, and in Chile over the past two years,、um, one one, you know, and all of those in, to different degrees driven by you know sudden increases in prices or in taxes and things like that, it's not impossible that something similar happens in, in Brazil. Oh, sorry. You, it snagged for a second, so I was just pausing to let it catch up. Um, but um, in your um, piece in um, Jacobin, you said that a coup is、um, perhaps more likely than we feared in the states in the lead up to last year's presidential election, but still unlikely. And I wondered if you could break down for us a little bit of why you think that is. Yeah. So I mean, I would、uh, kind of discourage any comparisons with the U.S. I think just to make this clear, or at least to make my perspective clear, I don't think there was any risk whatsoever of a coup in the U.S. January sixth was completely overblown. Uh, it was just a couple of malcontents being angry, and police, for, you know, forces let them into the capital, and nothing really happened. There was no risk of the military or sections of the establishment breaking、uh, with democratic norms and backing Trump to to remain in power. I don't think that was the case at all. In Brazil, the situation is obviously far more precarious. One, because democracy,、um, such as it is, is much less consolidated. The elite are less wedded to kind of the institutionality, the kind of general kind of norms and things like. Like、that、um, and you know, democracy has been seriously weakened since the 2016 parliamentary coup or institutional coup against Juma Hosefim of the Workers Party.、Um, and you know, Bolsonaro to a certain extent represented the consummation of that coup because、uh, you had kind of cl- new clean elections, which sort of wiped the slate clean and made everybody forget somehow that this institutional rupture had happened. 
Bolsonaro, while in power, has consistently threatened institutions, and not necessarily democratic institutions. I mean, most of his recent fire has been turned against the Supreme Court, which is, you know, not a, it's a counter-majoritarian institution, right? It's not, um, it's not a representative of the people who the people elect. Mm -hmm. um, but so it, it kind of has this weird sort of shadow theater element to it where Bolsonaro is fighting with other powers. Um, so, you know, he's there sat in the presidential palace, you know, firing barbs at the Supreme Court. And yeah. that's all off in Brasilia. Um, and like it kind of doesn't involve the mass of people. Right. So it's kind of kind of has this weird sort of spectral quality to it. Nevertheless, the threats are you know, concerning. Um, but there, I don't think there, he, I mean, he's aware that he doesn't have mass support. And so it's not like um, you'd have a repeat of sort of the 1964 military coup uh, in Brazil, which lasted 21 years uh, and had the support of the military, the whole of the bourgeoisie, large parts of the, kind of the middle class and the United States. You know, that whole configuration, which is a kind of, classic Cold War sort of coup wouldn't happen today. So despite some sort of left-wing fears of suddenly there being tanks on the streets, I don't see that happening. Um, or at least if there were to be some coup or some more obvious rupture with democracy, it would happen in in a different way. And, it, and if you look around the world, you know, these things nowadays are happen in much more... Um, kind of gradual way. So, I mean, if you just want to take the example of like Turkey or of Hungary, all of which are sliding towards authoritarianism, it's all done by elected presidents who kind of wear away at, uh, at democratic checks and balances. Um, and that would be possible in Brazil. Would Bolsonaro be reelected? But that at the moment isn't looking plausible. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the worry in the lead up to the September the 7th protests, which were the big pro-Bolsonaro pro protests, um, were, was that they would try to invade the Supreme Court building, or even try to launch a coup. And then there's questions over like who the major institutional forces and actors are there who would back that, right? So you have to, it's, you know, the president just can't decide to do a coup, right? You know, you need, you need, uh, you need troops or something, right? And his, his, um, administration is packed to the rafters with military officers, both mm -hmm. at the level of his cabinet with like top generals, but also throughout the kind of top levels of the federal administration, he's packed it with military men. Um, so they are kind of uh, guaranteeing his, his, um, his presidency. But on the other hand, it's not entirely clear whether they want to break with democracy and whether they would want to rule directly, whether they want the responsibility for that. They've already overseen this Bolsonaro period, which has been a disaster economically in health terms. You know, Bolsonaro has obviously like denied the pandemic and not lifted a finger to do anything, declined to buy vaccines when he could have bought vaccines. People in administration try to buy vaccines, but with some like little graft scheme where they get paid extra to buy vaccines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously been a complete social and political disaster. And I don't know if the military, you know, want more of that, basically. So that's not entirely clear. They, they might be more interested in maintaining their own privileges um, and being seen as defenders of the Constitution than in actually taking power and ruling directly. So that's not entirely clear. The other element is Brazil's massive military police forces. Now, these are police forces. They're like mm -hmm. beat cops, but they're also riot cops and responsible for a huge number of murders every year. Uh, mm -hmm. They are in. They're organized at a state level, but and so they're commanded by the uh, state governors. But 
they in total number larger than the army. And it's actually the largest armed body of men in Latin America. Uh, and they are very, very pro-Bolsonaro. And that's concerning. There was a lot of talk before September the 7th that these police officers would maybe mutiny or at the very least show up at the demonstrations, either in uniform or in plain clothes. Something that's illegal, by the way. You're, you're not allowed as a police officer to, to kind of manifest yourself politically. That didn't seem to happen. So, you know, that's good at least. Um, so, you know, if you're asking me to kind of draw, uh, to, to sort of sum up and ask, say what, how likely a coup actually would be, I think the the scenario would demand some sort of wider instability or um, outbreak of mass disorder of some sort hmm. for then the military to feel they have to intervene to, to kind of give a just cause for a coup. I don't think there would be a coup kind of, um, you know, like a, like lightning on a, on, a, on, a, on a clear day sort of thing. Yeah. And even given some of the economic precarity that the Brazilian working class is facing, given the pandemic and, the, you know, the fallout for the economy, um, that sort of social upheaval doesn't seem likely. No, exactly. I mean, if there's, I mean, of course, if there were some sort of, uh, you know, just for the sake of argument, if there are mass protests and riots with rolling blackouts, I mean, this is completely purely speculative. Um, I don't like to kind of <laughs> go go into kind of fear mongering or, or whatever. But yeah. um, but if, if in that situ- in that scenario, then yes, the military might feel they need to put you know put put troops on the streets, which is something that they did in in Rio relatively recently, where they took over policing um, in response to to the kind of insecurity situation there. But, you know, it was fairly badly handled, responsible for a lot of killings. The, the security situation didn't improve. So it ended up being a little bit for show. So it's not. An, again, I think the, the likelihood would be more that the military would enter into like a sort of peacekeeping capacity. Let's, and I say that kind of ironically because Brazil did send peacekeeping troops to Haiti and had a big presence there and were responsible for loads of human rights abuses and things like that. So um, when I say peacekeeping, I don't mean to say that that's like a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, so I, I, I guess, you know, summing up, I think there would need to be some sort of... Um, they would need to see some sort of just cause of some sort of mass unrest for them to, to then intervene. Well, that's good news. I mean, in the sense that it seems like, despite some of the fears um, that have been stoked recently, um, especially, I think, um, in, in the international media that's been picked up a lot um, regarding the potential for a coup, um, seems like, you know, the election's coming up next year. Hopefully there'll be a peaceful transfer of power. And uh, if we could, you know... I'm not sure there'll be a peaceful transfer that. of power. Yeah, so this is the thing. I'm not sure there'll be a peaceful transfer of power. I mean, okay, I, I think Bolsonaro that. will kick up a fuss in some sense yeah. and has already been uh, sowing the seeds for a long time, arguing that the voting system, which is in Brazil fully electronic, uh, we're far more advanced than the United States here. Um, <laughs> no hanging chads or anything like that. Um, yeah. And it's been something which has no, which has never had any credible allegations of fraud against it. The system's pretty secure, it works, etc. It, it delivers results pretty immediately, and that's that. Um, but Bolsonaro has been for a long time trying to undermine faith in it and of course it has no basis in reality but of course that's not the Mm -hmm. point the point is to demoralize um demoralize the election demoralize people's faith in democracy uh and uh, and so 
he already has alleged that the 2018 election, which he won, was fraudulent, which, of course, is, is kind of questionable. But again, this is kind of following uh, Trump's tactics um, and yeah. often quite explicitly, self-consciously. Um, and w- he's going to do the same in, in 2022. Um, and there's going to be a lot of uh, kind of, you know, propaganda from him, you know, what is now called fake news, but I, I prefer to just be more traditional and call it propaganda. Um, and, uh, and and so I think, you know, whether he leaves office peacefully or not, I mean, it depends what you define as peacefully. I think there will be mm-hmm. some sort of um, resistance on his part, some lawsuits, maybe there'll be protests because, of course, his hardcore base is relatively strong. It's not a huge part of the population, but it's maybe a nucleus of like 20% or something. And, you know, that's still substantial enough uh, that it can cause, you know, serious disruption. And the... So I think at least in terms of the most ideolo- the sectors which are most ideologically wed to him, I mean, the real hardcore kind mm-hmm. of uh, nutty culture warrior types who follow him yeah. and hardcore authoritarians, they um, they might not accept the election result. And I don't know what goes from there, you know, what, what the next step there would be, um, whether there would be some kind of here sort of um, making a U.S. comparison, despite uh, what I said earlier, like a kind of January 6th sort of moment, yeah. but perhaps a bit more destabilizing. I think the question you always have to ask, you know, is not like, oh, are there lots of people who are angry and are going to cause a mess? But, you know, what are the institutional forces? What are the balance of forces mm-hmm. kind of across society? And I think a lot of institutional actors, uh, you know, if Bolsonaro were to lose the election pretty clearly um, and the winner was to be Lula, who would then have stitched up a lot of deals with a lot of the old elite, um, with a lot of the military establishment, with a lot of congressmen who traced their own histories back to the dictatorship when they were kind of the civil participants in the dictatorship, right? So a lot of bad guys. Lula will have stitched up a lot of deals with them, and he is currently doing that, right? So it's important also to note as an aside that any Lula government will not be a a radical government. It won't even be Mm -hmm. as moderate center-left as it was the first time around from 2002 Mm -hmm. until 2010. It will be a government which is completely compromised um, with the old establishment. So will it be better than Bolsonaro? For sure. But there should be no real left-wing enthusiasm for the return of Lula. Maybe only relief that Bolsonaro is gone. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think if Lula is able to manage that and and able to do deals, and if if Lula does one thing, it does deals. I mean, that is his thing. He's a great conciliator. Ever since his more radical trade union days in the 70s, he was a guy who always made deals, right? Um, Who always found a middle path. Is able is good with people and so on. Um, so if he's able to do that, then why would a lot of uh, the elites decide to, you know, support Bolsonaro's claims that he was frauded out of, ele- of, of an election? The instability ensuing from that um, is probably not worth their while because ultimately they're far more narrowly self-interested in, for example, making their sectional interests uh, known and, and defended. So, you know, if finance is happy with Lula, if uh, Lula is not going to curtail agribusiness too much, which uh, is, you know, one of Bolsonaro's main backers, then I think they'll go along with that. You know, it's important to note that among Bolsonaro's like capitalist support, 
the hardest core of that is agribusiness and as well as some kind of sections of kind of big retail and things like that. Uh -huh. um, he's kind of lost a lot of the sort of financial classes support because they because Bolsonaro hasn't been a total hardcore neoliberal in terms of prioritizing mm. various kind of reforms, right? Kind yeah. of tax reform, pension reform and things like that. And as a consequence mm. um, and as a consequence like he they don't see him necessarily as their guy. Agribusiness still sees Bolsonaro as their guy, but they're not ideologically wedded to him on mass, you know, it's still kind mm -hmm. of a sectional interest. It's just you know, kind of narrowly, narrowly self-interested in, e in economic terms. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that they would necessarily force a rupture with dem a democracy for all the, the problems that that would cause. If I can highlight like uh, a, another thing of kind of what might still happen, because there's yeah. been a lot of talk about impeachment of Bolsonaro. There's been over a yeah. there's been over a hundred impeachment requests filed against him, and mm -hmm. because of the configuration of Congress and uh, his uh, Bolsonaro's appointees and everything, that won't advance because he's basically bought off Congress with enough pork pork barrel spending that they won't mm -hmm. seek to impeach him. But if he's losing support and there's a door now opening to impeach him, then they the conditions might be changing and make it more likely. The reason they might want to impeach Bolsonaro is that they know that the election is polarized between Bolsonaro and Lula, neither of whom yeah. they want. And so mm -hmm. if there's a possibility of a potential third-way candidate, and of course, mm -hmm. all, like all the newspapers, all the major newspapers have been talking up various different third-way candidates. And it's the usual thing, you know, mm -hmm. they kind of float a balloon and they go, hey, this guy's young and innovative and modern and yeah. we're going to bring him Give in. Give try. Exactly. <laughs> and what happens is that like, you know, he flatlines in the polls and nothing happens and no one talks about him for, again, like after a month. Yeah. Um, and that's happening now and like it'll continue happening. But the reality is that none of them are polling over like in double digits and that's not mm. going to change. And the parties are also themselves like all now kind of because Brazil has a hugely fragmented party system, has like yeah. 27 different parties. And so they're a lot of them are now joining up together because of some electoral reform allowing them to to kind of combine into into sort of new party unions and that they're now concerned with that which also shows that they're not interested necessarily in fielding a third party candidate because a third way candidate so to speak because um they're mainly looking at kind of guaranteeing enough tv airtime and getting congress people re-elected and so on so i see so it, because of that inability to really get any wind behind a third way candidate the only way they could maybe manage that would be to take Bolsonaro out of the game and therefore open up the field on the right for a kind of more traditional right-wing figure who isn't Bolsonaro. And so that might that might yet happen, whether it's an, whether it's an impeachment or um, the cancelling of his 2018 electoral slate, which has never, ever happened before. But because they have all these allegations of improper use of fake news during the election, especially via WhatsApp and lots of kind of illegal funding which is something that was obviously which obviously fell foul of electoral rules back in 2018 and everybody knew about it but they were never going to act on it um you know the, the supreme court was never going to act on it but they've had this in their back pocket and so they might still yet act on it and that would mean not just bolsonaro being impeached but it actually would mean that the slate would be cancelled uh the vice president would also uh, lose his position and 
Brazil. So everybody running with them would be out. Would be out, exactly. Yeah. So that whole presidential slate would be out. And then hmm. until the election, so let's say, you know, whatever it would be, 10 months or, or you know, until that would, until the election, uh, Brazil would then elect a, uh, a president indirectly in, in Congress, right? So kind of parliamentary system. Um, and that's the big concern that that if that were short term, then it would matter so much. And there'd be new there'd be new elections as planned in October 2022. But Brazil's Congress has always been trying to maneuver towards a parliamentary system, which would mm-hmm. be really anti- anti-democratic because Congress is already kind of a mess, um, stock filled with, you know, kind of a bunch of reactionaries um, and. You know the the parliament the congressional elections are much more sort of clientelistic than the presidential elections, which are kind of the most democratic part of Brazil's system. And mm-hmm. if you um, and if you switch to parliamentary system, that basically means that con- that a bunch of congressmen who have no popularity whatsoever can then indirectly choose a, a president. And so they're always trying to maneuver towards that, and that's quite concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. When I say that there's no coup attempt or that the, that the risks of a coup are probably not that great, uh, that isn't to say that Brazilian democracy is in a, a healthy state at all. I see. I appreciate you breaking it all down. Um, and I wanted to see if um, you want to let people know where they could follow you, get your new book um, or anything like that. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. I uh I am active on uh, on uh, Alfe Bunga Bunga, which is at BungaCast uh, on all social media or BungaCast.com. That's um, my global politics podcast, uh, with uh, which, which I co-host with two other guys, George and Phil. Um, we now have a, a big series coming out on generational politics, which maybe your uh, listeners would be interested in checking out. And uh, my book, The End of the End of History, is, uh, is on sale now, um, kind of covering... Uh, this this strange moment that we're living in of uh, of an increasingly turbulent political world. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. Cheers. I'm Tamika D. Mallory, and it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Oh, let, let me get it. I got it. I got it. Okay, so if this cat's name is Sita, real name Leandro Roque de Oliveira, been making music for more than a decade, born um, and based in Sao Paulo. Um, he's recorded three albums and in doing so, built up a reputation as one of Brazil's top hip hop MCs. Um, he's also, in the past year, two years, emerged as one of the country's most influential cultural figures. All right, let's check out this track real quick. So do we know if he's a Bolsonarista? I get the feeling from the lyrics he's not a Bolsonarista in that it, his lyrics come across very, like, you know, very liberatory, like diagnosing the ills of racism, the, you know, the ills of our, our history with enslavement and uh, police repression, which like, you know, Bolsonaro loves the police. From what I understand, Bolsonaro hates the blacks and the poor. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to I'm going to assume there's like a not they they don't really. He looks way too cool to fuck with them. And he looks way too cool. Like, I want to be this nigga's friend. (laughs) Come on. I'm going to be your friend. Look at at the steez with the little parts in the hair. Sorry. Found this picture of him. Yeah, yeah. They can't see this picture, but yeah. Homie is is looking fresh. He is looking fresh to death in this picture. Oh, with the hair tattoo. Messing with his cufflinks and shit. Oh, the cufflinks. Lord of mercy. The little wire rim glasses. (laughs) And the fucking, yeah. Beat goes hard, and then you got you know got MC that he going in talking about you know the police van is a slave ship, and the slums of the slave quarters. He talking about he, he's like talking you know hearkening back to Angola, Congo, Soweto, like his you know African homelands, and uh, talking about Bin Laden getting made in the USA. And fucking talking about the KKK. And so he's talking about all these different, like, international intersections between, you know, we're like, we're at the middle of which comes, like, the black Brazilian struggle, which has many parallels to the black American struggle. So fucking beat goes hard. All I'm saying is the beat is, goes uh, hard. The lyrics go hard. The videos, the videos of hard. note, too. It's, uh, it's got, like, a scene of, uh, 
workers' revolt in like, <laughs> like I would you? Would, I got plantation vibes, although I don't know that they explicitly showed it was a plantation house. I'm sure. I'm sure that parallel was the implication was um. There. Intentional. Like, oh yeah, yeah, they're like yeah, like understated, but like definitely you know trying to nod a little bit to it because I mean yeah, we're still living on a fucking plantation. Yeah, Today. the beat goes hard. Instrumentally, I was I was making this comment uh, before we came back from the jump, but instrumentally, it it makes me feel like old school uh, Black Eyed Peas before Fergie, like th- those sort of beats. <laughs> All right, enough of admiring homies' uh, wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, who do we got next? Or next? Okay. Um, this is not a hip hop song, and I don't think I've ever deviated from the genre of focus in the history of this show. But goddamn, this is a banger. And Elsa Suarez, who sings this song, is 90 fucking years old, so I thought I had to give a shout out to the homie. Also, while bringing attention to the fact that this song, Mulher al Fim do Mundo, which means woman at the end of the world. It's like a fucking feminist anthem in an era where Bolsonaro is out here making jokes about rape and talking about how, you know, women are idiots. Like, I feel like this is a really powerful song worth giving a listen to. Let's give it a spin real quick. Okay, yeah, no, that, yeah, that shit is dope. I love the, the instrumental for it, man. That piano pluck. See, you nailed it. You explained exactly why I felt like this is a good fit. So, because it's got this instrumental feeling, like where it feels like it, it feels like any second the bars are gonna drop. Yeah, it feels like a beat. You know, like feels uh, like a beat. Yeah, that sounds like somebody made that beat in an MPC. You know, straight up, straight up. <laughs> straight I see. Up. Uh, yeah, I can see West Ruler. Shout out to West. Like doing his little thing on the B pad yeah. with the piano and the shit with the plug strings. Which, if no one has sampled the song, uh, maybe they should, because it's, yeah, you know, to get a little loop going with the fucking instruments in the background and shit. So why don't you tell the people what the song's about? So, um, the song, it's, it's, it showcases feminist resistance to oppression, um, in lines like, on the avenue, I left there, my black skin and my voice. Uh, my home, my loneliness, I threw it from the third floor. So it's sort of like about throwing out all the shit that's like holding you back with reference to, you know, skin color, with to gender uh, and sort of like rising above it, like laughing even in the face of insurmountable obs. You know, she describes herself as a woman at the end of the world who will sing until the end, who will sing until the end of the world. And so um, there was a lot of like, uh, violence against women and uh, femicide going on in Brazil at the time that the song was written. Um, and so sort of like, I guess, giving... It's sort of just like an anthem. Sort of just like an anthem for like this backdrop of violence, of oppression, of, of just general struggle. A struggle against fascism. Like, you know, keeping your head high above that while not overtly political in its content. It's one of those things where like it's inherently political in that it is resistance. It embodies resistance. And so I thought was really dope. Those are the best type of political songs, in my opinion. Best type. It's not preachy. It's not like, hey, go out and vote, kids. It's and the that win- fucking corny ass shit I do in my dumbass music. Hey, um, yo, it's like, no. hey, <laughs> hey, hey. 
Hey. <laughs> you know it's true. I'm like, it's go not for true. Who are you voting for for sheriff? Who are you voting for for solicitor general? <laughs> it's not true. It's a style. It's a style. It's yeah, a whatever. My choice. shit be corny as hell, and I no, love no, no, it. No, no, no. And I embrace no. it. It's great. Uh, but no, it's like understated, but just empowering. It's good shit. I don't know. That was worth it. And this bitch old as hell. Yeah, good no, for you. Good for it. you, Elsa Suarez. And it's black, so we fuck with that. And it's black as hell. <laughs> so... Uh, our go. next song is Oyo de Tigre by Jonga. Uh, Oyo de Tigre means I have a tiger. Um, and uh, Jonga is a Bella Horizonte born rapper who, interestingly, was among the finalists for Best International Rapper for the BET Hip Hop Awards last year. Oh, snap. Um, in this track, Jonga calls out racism against black Brazilians while taking a jab at Bolsonaro, rhyming. Whoever has the my color is a thief. Whoever has the color of Eric Clapton is a kleptomaniac. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's hilarious to me. Because uh, didn't Eric Clapton end up being real racist against like immigrants or some shit? Am I thinking another right guy? Uh, there was something with Eric Clapton. He's Eric one Clapton, of them old me- white dudes, you know, like him and uh, who's the other guy? Um, I don't know, man. What are these guitar playing white dudes? Oh, uh, yeah. The, the shit of uh, Morrissey. Yeah. It's like, you know, every every other day is like, yeah. So Morrissey said this. Yo, so Morrissey said that. We can't fuck with Morrissey no more. And I'm sitting over here like, yo, who the fuck is Morrissey, man? All right. We don't. <laughs> you know, all right. I don't fuck with him. Okay, cool. Yeah, legit, and don't crucify me for this, listeners, but, like, I don't know if I could name a Eric Clapton song off the top of my head, but I remember he's racist. Tears in Heaven. Tears in Heaven. Okay. So Tears I in just, Heaven. I, 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 yeah, I just couldn't name one. I didn't and say Tears I wouldn't recognize dope. one. Tears what? In, and what was the other one? He did a joint. There was a movie with John Travolta back in the day called uh, Phenomenon, and he did the theme song for it with Babyface. It was him and Babyface. It was called Change the World. It was like, if I could change the world. They sang it a lot better than that, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know any, I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> I don't know. You, people All right, sing better than that? Let's check out this damn song. All right, let's check out this damn song. Somos o presente. Na chamada professora de Pantera Negra. Eu respondo presente. So yeah, he talks about how at the time of judgment, God is black and Brazilian. Love that. Mm. Um, and then to end in this little jab at Bolsonaro here, he says, and to save the country, a Christian ex-military man who thinks that women getting together is a whorehouse. <laughs> so he's like, oh, you think, oh, you think this guy, this Christ, quote unquote Christian guy, this quote unquote military guy who like thinks women are sluts, no. this guy is going to save your country? Well, at the time of judgment, God is black and Brazilian, and he's not going to be pleased with this shit. So is he really popular? Oh, yeah. He's mad popular. So he also, last year, I believe, took home the MTV Mia Beat uh, Brazil Award, which apparently is a big deal. During his award show performance, um, on top of of the roof of a building, um, this is... Uh, also gets back into the politics of his music, which like are found throughout his music, music and music videos. I encourage y'all to take a look at all, them all. Lots of examples. But at this award show performance, he drove home an anti-racist message featuring background dancers with shirts imprinted with the slogan "Param de nos matar," which means "Stop killing us." Which apparently in Brazil is also a huge slogan for like the anti-racist movement. Yeah, stop which I don't know if it's like an offshoot of Black Lives Matter or just like 
the very simple statement of please stop killing us just has this resonance regardless of what language it's in (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it could be applied to any population yeah 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 i don't know it's like they take inspiration from what's happening here or it's just literally that is wow we should probably look look at that because i mean did, is that just two coincidental movements <laughs> or, straight up straight up i mean, I mean so much so much what i also i think is revealed in in the music of mcda of of elsa suarez of Jonga uh, today is the parallels between the united states and Brazil outside of oh we talked about fascism and like they have the Trump of the tropics down there also just the development of like the slavery there's like 350 years of slavery in Brazil you know uh, the way the police are murdering black people uh, hyper capitalism all this shit the way that like these similar forces have cooked up similar results for both of our both of our colonies yeah i guess you could say it's interesting how you see that in the music as well with the themes that come up well shit we can only hope that we can only hope that they all that stuff like is defeated or quells down or mitigated to whatever extent it can be so that it doesn't take root interview you know gave me a little bit of hope that maybe all things are not lost um but you never fucking know. <laughs> I don't know. He was the smartest people, and he was a very smart man. Uh, you you can't caught all you can't caught by surprise sometimes. Like oh shit, well. Well, one I thing guess we that all going we to jail. one thing that we do know and that we don't get caught off surprise with is that that's it. We got to end this shit. These fucking bars ain't never catch me off guard. <laughs> oh, we I'm will be back wrong. next week. But before we go. Like the homie just said, we need some bars. So, Joel, please, my main man, can you can you bless us with some heat? Uh... Yo, blue collar on the beat. Yeah, I'm a scholar with the heat. The rhymes are at a premium. You try to get them cheap. That's why Bolsonaro got the right wingers in the street. So every time I move, you know I gotta be discreet. It still is kind of hit or miss. Don't say it's illegitimate. He don't really like anybody with a clitoris. Brown folk, queer folk, or people who indigenous. You can even throw a little goose stepping in the mix. But this is in a sense me preaching to the choir. I'm just trying to keep it dope and be a creature you admire. Make a sucker rap a halt. Got him screeching on the tire. Everything I say is crazy. Crack minus ether in the fire It's dope knife and lingua franca Take a bow We a couple superheroes with cape and cow Listen close and I'll break it down Keep your damn mouth shut And give us our reparations now Yeah. <laughs> I'm dope knife I'm lingua franca And you're listening to waiting on reparations For We're black Brazilians as well as black Americans Have a Hurry good up with all of it Hurry it all up. Hurry it all up. See you next week. Peace. Winning on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.